You're not being complimented for your sterling character. If someone says to you that you're a fickle flip-flopper, an equivocating, indecisive person who facilitates or who vacillates and changes their mind more than they change their own clothes. That is not a compliment. I think we can all agree that that is not a good reputation to have, is it? In a recent article I read in a psychology journal, it said that many, many people struggle with saying what they mean and then sticking with it. The research shows then that most people struggle with how to say no to other people. And then they're filled with pain and anxiety because of the commitments and the promises they made when they said yes. When Paul writes 2 Corinthians, his critics are wrongly, but deliberately accusing him of being a fickled flip-flopper, an equivocator, insincere person, an indecisive person who vacillates and changes his mind more than he changes his own clothes. And they're wrong in doing that, but they tell him that you're fickle. And so Paul writes this text that we're going to look at today, a very important text. And he tells us why it's important that we have a good reputation and why our yes should be yes and our no must be no. So here's the background from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and following. Paul told the Corinthians that he intended to visit them twice in the time that he would see them. He'd come and see them two times. He only makes it one time. He doesn't go twice, he only goes one, although he intended to go twice. His critics there in the Corinthian church quickly jumped on this, and they used this as an occasion to discredit Paul and to accuse him of not keeping his word, that you cannot trust in Paul. So Paul writes this to them. Was I fickled when I intended to do this? Or do I make plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say, yes, yes, I say, no, no. And surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was preached among you by us. And it was not yes and no, but in Him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed you. He set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Paul says, I'm not a fickle flip-flopper. I'm not equivocating and I'm not an indecisive person. I'm not a person who is vacillating, changing my mind, changing my clothes? No. I don't make promises I can't keep. I don't make promises I can't keep. That, that's the theme almost of when you read Proverbs chapter 6. Almost the entire sixth chapter of Proverbs is about not making promises that you can't keep. In fact, in Proverbs 6 verse 2, it says, You can be ensnared or trapped by your own words. And what Solomon goes to great extent to tell us in Proverbs 6, to tell his son as well, is that whatever you have to do to the point of exhaustion, you honor your word and you hold others accountable to, hold, to honor their word as well. 
In other words, don't make promises you can't keep. Now, Solomon goes back to that in his journal in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 5. And he says, when you make a vow, you're making it before God. So you do not delay in honoring that vow. Don't put it off. Don't make reasons or excuses as to why you cannot honor your word. It's like when someone comes up to you and says, hey, would you do this for me? And you say, yeah, I'll do that for you on Thursday. Well, Friday morning arrives and the person says, hey, I thought you said you're going to do that for me on Thursday. And you reply, yes, but I didn't tell you which Thursday. That's kind of like what this is. In other words, don't make promises you can't keep. Solomon says you fulfill your promise. You, when the vow you make, don't delay it. It's better not to promise than to make a promise and not fulfill it. Don't make promises you can't keep. So why do we make promises that we cannot keep? What are some of the reasons for that? Well, first of all, it's because we don't value the person we make the promise to. There are means to an end. I want something from them, so I will say anything to get that from them, but I really don't value them. I may have a business. I may need their money. I may need that contract, so I will tell them the quality that I will do. I will tell them the time I will complete it, and I will tell them how much it would cost, knowing all along that I'm just telling them what they want to hear just to get the job, and I really don't value that person and what they think of me. And so as time goes on, you get the job, you, the time deadlines are not met, the cost keeps going up, the quality begins to diminish, the person calls you about it, you don't answer their calls, you don't return their texts, you go silent on them until you finally call them up with all sorts of excuses, everything else. And you don't ever, you just kind of, whatever reason, you don't value that person. And so you told them something, but you don't value them. A second reason why we make promises we can't keep or we will not keep is because we feel pressure to do so, don't we? There's certain people very intimidating, kind of afraid of them. They're manipulating. Or we do it out of stress. And so we say yes to something we know that we will never do just to avoid the conflict. Another reason why we make promises we don't keep is because we want to look like we're nice people and we're trying to please others. If I say no to that person, they're going to think I'm so harsh. I want them to think I'm a nice person or I want that person to like me so much that if I say no to them, they may not like me anymore. And so we say yes, knowing all along that we mean no. And in reality, by doing that, by not keeping the promise, we really hurt and cause more pain than if we just said no to begin with, right? Y'all are quiet this morning. <laughs> Others make promises they can't keep because they are unrealistic in their ability to do so. They have this over-optimistic view of life. And so when someone asks them to do something with enthusiasm... Say, yes, I'll do that. But in their mind, they're, they're thinking, I don't know how I'm going to do that, when I'm going to be able to do that. I'm not even sure if I know how to do that, but yes, I'll do it. I know I'll work it out. Yes, I will do it for you. Now, we've either done that or we've had that done to ourselves. 
many, many times in life. And each time a promise is broken, it always has consequences. And they are never, never good. Never good. That's why the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 37 are so important to what we're talking about today. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't be a fickle flip-flopper who's equivocating, indecisive, vacillating, and changing your mind more than you change your clothes. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If not, you are going to earn, justifiably so, the reputation of not being reliable, not being able to be depended upon, someone not to be trusted. So go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, and see how Paul talks about this. Paul had told the Corinthians that he intended to go to Corinth. He said, look, my plans changed. This was an intention of mine. He says, I wasn't just saying yes, yes, because that's what you want to hear. But in my mind, I was saying, no, I'm not going to do it. He wasn't saying, yes, yes, I'll come twice. And, but in my mind, I think it's going to be hard just to come once. But I'll just tell you, yes, yes, because that's what you want to hear. Paul said, no, that, that's not what I'm doing. I'm not saying yes verbally, but mentally, I already am saying no. It's like when you run into someone, right? You hadn't seen in a long time. You start talking, catching up a little bit, and <clears throat> then the person says, you know, we need to kind of meet a little bit later on, get for lunch, and let, let's, let's spend more time together. Say, yeah, yeah, you're right. Give me, what's your phone number? What's your text? I'll text you a time. Saying that verbally and knowing you will never, ever contact that person. That's what Jesus, that's what Paul says here. The worldly standard that we expect is for people to say, yeah, 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 let's do it, when we know they've already said no. Paul said, I'm not that fickle person. I am not that flip-flopper, and neither should you be. I think part of the problem we have is in our communication, or rather, should I say, in our lack of communication with each other. We're not trained, or nor do we put the time into or to be careful enough with our words. Words have meaning. Words have power. And words carry with them expectation. And so Mark Twain said it this way. The difference between the right word and the almost right word is the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. Now, there's a difference between an intention and a commitment and a promise. But if we don't understand that, we get them all mixed up, and then we don't understand what's going on. So we have to learn what Paul is telling us here in terms of what he was doing. He said, I intended to. Those are my plans. This is what I had hoped to do, to come see you two times. But there's no certainty to that. He's not for sure if he's going to be able to do that. But he's sharing with them the intentions that he has that he would like to carry out. I hope to see you two times. But he's not in control of that, is he? And so he only ends up seeing them once. 
James 4, verse 13 says, Be very careful how you state your intentions. Do not make your intentions emphatic. Do not say with an intention emphatically that I will do this and I will go there and I'll be there. When it's just an intention because you are stating emphatically something you are not certain that can ever happen. In fact, James says about your plans and your intentions, you should always say, not emphatically about what you're going to do, but rather emphatically, Lord willing. Lord willing, this is what I intend to do. Paul says, I intended to see you twice. And if it had been up to the Lord, I would have seen you twice. Those were my intentions. Those were my plans. But I could only do it once. So when someone asks you what you intend to do, make it very clear. I intend to do this or that. Lord willing. Lord willing. That's intention. And if you're not able to carry out your intentions, like Paul, Paul says you're not being a fickle flip-flopper. You've turned it over to the Lord. Now, you can't go through life with just good intentions, can you? You have to make commitments. Don't be fearful of commitments. Be careful with your commitments. And the expectation of a commitment is different than an intention. An intention, isn't it? A commitment is more than saying, we'll see what's going to happen. A commitment is, I will do this. I will make the commitment to do this. Don't be afraid of commitment. Be careful with your commitment. Isn't that what Jesus told us in Luke chapter 14? In Luke chapter 14, he says, look, a builder, before he builds the building, counts the cost. He studies it. He thinks about it. He looks it over. He counts the cost to see whether or not he's going to be able to start and whether he's going to be able to finish the project. And what Jesus says is, before you make a commitment, you count the cost. Do you have the skill, the experience, the ability to do this commitment? Do you have the resources necessary to do this commitment? Do you have the knowledge or information enough to be able to make a decision about this commitment and to carry it out? And do you have the time or will you make the time to honor the commitment that you make that you'll say that you'll get it done in such and such a time? That's counting the cost. So when you make a commitment, it's not an impulsive, immediate thing you do. It's something that's thought out. Ability, knowledge, resources, time. And once you go through that and you count the cost, you say, okay, I will make that commitment. You're at peace about it. So if someone comes up to you and says, hey, would you do this for me? There's nothing wrong with saying, you know what? I want to think about this. I want to pray about this. I want to study this. I want to really count the cost on this. And I'll get back with you as soon as I can. And then when you go through that and say, yes, I can do that, you make the commitment. And when you make the commitment, then you honor that commitment. Now, does that mean that every commitment you'll make that you'll always finish? No, because we are not in control of everything, are we? There's some things beyond our ability. Lord willing, I will honor this commitment. How much so? Well, like Solomon told me, I will exhaust myself. I will do everything within my power to honor and complete this commitment. Intention is one word. Commitment is a different expectation. A promise is a higher expectation, isn't it? A promise many times involves an oath 
or taking a vow or making a covenant. I promise, I pledge, I vow, I enter into a covenant. A promise usually involves a sacrifice. I will be in this no matter what. This is my sacrifice to you. And you say, well, what's the difference between a commitment and a sacrifice? A farmer wants for breakfast eggs and ham. For the chicken, the eggs are a commitment to the farmer's breakfast. For the pig, the ham is a sacrifice (laughs) for the farmer's breakfast. That's the difference between a commitment and a promise. And that's why Moses says in Numbers chapter 30, when you make a vow, a pledge, a promise, a covenant, you honor every word in it before God. Do not ever break that vow. The difference between the right word and the almost right word is the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. And this is what Paul is trying to tell us, that don't make promises you can't keep. Be precise. Don't let your words ensnare you. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And let others know at the, off, at the very beginning, is this your intention? Is this a commitment or is this a promise? And you honor all three. Don't make promises you can't keep. Now, Paul continues in verse 18 through 19. Here it is. How important is it for us to say what we mean and mean what we say? Well, how important is it for God? What is God in relation to his promise, to his word? He is faithful, isn't he? God is faithful to his word. He doesn't flip-flop. He's not fickled about it. He says what he means. He means what he says. How faithful should we be in our word to other people? As faithful as God is with his word to us. That's our standard. And that's a lot higher than the world's standard. The world's standard is very careless about the truth. Very careless about their word. In fact, it seems like they approve of people being fickled and flip-floppers and equivocating on everything. It seems like they get sometimes rewarded for that. Making loopholes, finding excuses not to keep the word, keeping our fingers crossed behind our back. It should not surprise us that that's the world's standards because the God of this age, who is the devil, Jesus says, is the father of all lies. And that's what we do. We lie when we don't say what we mean, and we don't mean what we say. And this is Paul's point here. God is faithful. I must be faithful. Well, how do I know that he's faithful? Look in verse 21. God's the one who makes us stand in Christ. I know that God's promised to me he is faithful to me because his word is sure that I have salvation in Jesus Christ. And upon Jesus Christ, the rock I stand. I stand upon the promises of God. We were just singing earlier. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Oh, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I stand upon the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. God is faithful to his word. And God, I know, is faithful to his word because I have salvation in Jesus Christ. That assurance, that freedom, that strength I have is not from me. But it's from the power that God used to raise Christ Jesus from the dead. 
My life is not standing on the slippery slope of empty promises, but it's standing upon the promises of God. I know that in Christ alone I take my stand and that God is faithful to me and his words are faithful to me. He's faithful to me in his word. Therefore, I will be, as a faithful child of God, faithful in my words to others. I will say what I mean, and I will mean what I say, because that's what my God, my Father, does with me. Amen? Now, going back to 2 Corinthians again, latter part of verse 21 and following. How important is this to God? It's so important that he anoints you with the truth. He anoints you to be a truth teller. God demonstrated his faithfulness to me in saving me through Jesus Christ, anointing me with his Holy Spirit. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told all of us, his disciples, that he would provide for us the Holy Spirit who will guide us and lead us into all truth. Do you realize you're anointed with the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that anointed the prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament? That that Spirit lives in you, in your temple? That you're anointed with that truth? What does that mean to be anointed? that truth that leads us into all truth by the Holy Spirit. Well, in 1 John chapter 2, 20 through 27, you can read on your own, it tells you three things that means. It means, first of all, that you know the truth. It means that you can spot what's counterfeit and false as opposed to what's real. And it means that you desire and hunger and long for truth and to teach that truth to others. To be anointed by God and His faithful promises is to stand in Christ in the truth, not only of God's promises, but by the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life of truth that knows the truth, that desires the truth, and can spot what's counterfeit. Isn't that beautiful? That's what it means to be anointed by God. That's how you know that we are to say what we mean and mean what we say. You're anointed. You are sealed, it says in this verse. So here's a promise by God. He has sealed you. He's anointed you, which means he sacrificed for you to do this, right? It took the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, for us to stand firm. Now, when you go to Hebrews chapter 6, 16 through 18, it says that God swore to us. He made an oath to us. He didn't have to. God did not have to make an oath or swear to us, but he did this in order that we, he might show us as heirs of his promises that he is true to his word, that he says what he means, he means what he says, and that we should say what we mean and mean what we say. And he says it's based upon these two great profound truths about God. Hebrews 6, 16 through 18, that God is unchanging in his nature and that God will not lie, God does not lie, and God cannot lie. Therefore, since God's unchanging nature and because of his word being truth, you can take refuge in him and he is an anchor for your soul. God says what he means. He means what he says. And being the anointed child of God, he wants you to say what you mean and mean what you say as well. Beautiful when you look at that. Go back to 2 Corinthians 1, 19, our text again. Now look at Jesus. What did Jesus have to say about this? How does Paul pull Jesus and all this idea of, of saying what you mean and meaning what you say? What did Jesus say about words? He said, words have life and death. Words reveal what's inside our heart. And Jesus says he is the word and he's the way, the truth, and the life. 
when he, following his resurrection, when he joins two disciples on the road to Emmaus, those two disciples are so discouraged, they think Jesus is still dead. They've not heard about the resurrection. And here's Jesus walking with them. Isn't that beautiful? And on the course of that walk into the house, Jesus reveals more and more about who he is, and their eyes are opened up to who Jesus is. And it says that Jesus taught them the truth about how he fulfilled the promises that are found in Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms. Jesus is the reliable one we can trust in. He's the fulfillment of all of God's Word. But more than that, there's something said about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There was found no deceit in His mouth or in His heart. There is no deceit in our Savior. Think about that. Our perfect Jesus was put on trial. Our perfect Jesus, who had no deceit in His mouth, no deceit in his heart, no sin in his life was put on trial, and they brought forth witnesses who did what? Lied, lied, and lied. Blaspheme, bore false testimony, and lied. But his life was so innocent and so pure. They even the hard-hearted, fickled, flip-flopper Pilate didn't believe those lies. In fact, when Jesus spoke to Pilate the truth, Pilate tries to dismiss Jesus, and he uses the worldly standard, and he says to Jesus, well, what is truth? In other words, this world is so messed up, and some people say this is what truth is, and someone else says this is what truth is. So, so what is truth? He says that to Jesus. How can you be so certain about truth? Well, Pilate might have asked that question, what is truth? But deep down, I think he knew that he was staring truth right in the eyeballs. How about you? I think he knew that in Jesus he had found the truth and one who lived the truth. And as he stared truth in the eyes, he saw it unflinching, unwavering, uncompromising. And that was so unsettling to Pilate, who was fickle, flip-flopper, equivocating, indecisive, vacillating, and changing his mind more than he ever changed his clothes. And it's just as unsettling to us as well when confronted with that sort of Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's what Paul says we preach. That's what you believe in. And that's what we share and believe in today. That we will be as reliable to our word, our bond, as Christ is to us. That we will be as faithful to our yes and no as God is to his promises to us. We should say what we mean and mean what we say, so much so that Peter says, if someone ever brings an accusation against your character or your word, that others will not believe it because they know your character, they know your reputation, and they know that your word is your bond. Don't make promises you can't keep. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Let's look one more time in this text. Go back to verse 20 now. Save this one for last. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. All of God's promises are yes and amen. When our youngest son, Chase, was just a little child, 
He had these ways of framing his requests to us as his parents. So to his mom, when he had a request, he would go up to his mom and say, Mom, I need this. Mom, I need this. So apparently, over time, when Chase had asked for something, his mom, Sharon, probably said, no, you can't have that. You don't need it. So to avoid the no, he starts off with, Mom, I need this. Now, if me, he framed his request in a different way. He would come up to me and he would say, Now, Daddy, say yes, Daddy, say yes. <laughs> Before he would even ask, say yes, Daddy, say yes. So at times I felt real guilty. Am I saying no to him too much? <laughs> And then I realized he's just like a little child. He's a little manipulative little thing, right? <laughs> Love him to death, but he's manipulating me here. But say yes, Daddy, say yes. Now, that's been the strength of Chase even as an adult now. For no to him is just the negotiation of the start of the negotiation. For me, no means it's the end of the talk, right? So Chase started, Mommy, I need this. Or yes, Daddy, yes, please say yes. It's the start of the negotiation with him. Now, I think about my father, my God. When I take a request to him, say yes, Daddy, say yes. Based on your promises, will you say yes? Will you say yes? I know he does not withhold any good thing from me as his child. All the promises of God, no matter how many there are, are always yes in Christ. God loves to say yes to his promises. Or as a song that we sung early in the communion, all of God's promises are yes and amen. They're yes and amen. What God has promised to us, he will not backtrack, he will not take back, he will not find a loophole, he will not change his mind, he will not withhold it from us simply because he has the power to do so. Now notice, it doesn't say everything we ask for God's going to give us. If God gave us everything we asked for, he wouldn't be a very loving father, would he? Everything your child asks of you, you're not a loving parent if you give them everything they ask for. You're harming them. You're not helping them. They expect the parent. The parent is supposed to guide the child, right? Our father loves us enough to know when to say yes and when to say no, and he's very clear when he does either one. We may not understand it like a little child, but not everything's a promise from God. And I know this is hard to believe, but not every prayer request you have is a good request. Not every idea you have is a good idea. I know that's hard to believe, right? So when we look at this, we're not even sure everything we ask for is what we need to be asking for. And in my own life, I've asked for certain things and turned around sometime later and asked for the exact opposite. So it can't be up to me, right? So, so too often we're like the little children who don't understand when they're told that they don't need it or told no when they think they should be told yes. And the reason is we don't have the ability to know or to fully comprehend just who God is and what God should do in every, every situation. We cannot or do not have that ability to comprehend that no matter how intelligent you may be. And so what we're told by God is this. I want you to take everything, 
everything that crosses your mind and bring it to me in prayer. Hear it? I'm not asking you to prejudge. I'm not asking you, well, I'm going to, before I pray that, I'm going to see whether or not it's in his promises or in his will. God says, I just want you to bring everything to me in prayer. And the Holy Spirit, who's anointed and intercedes for you, will lead you into all truth. He'll intercede on your behalf. And you'll find that assurance, and I believe it is a great assurance, that I can go to my Father and all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. That you'll find God to be trustworthy and reliable and faithful. You'll find that His promises... His promise to never forsake you, that he'll never forsake you, that he'll love you with an everlasting love. You will find that he gives you wisdom when you ask for it in prayer, that he forgives you and shows mercy to you when you need forgiveness and mercy, and that he has a home for you in heaven prepared for you because you said yes to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as your Savior. And to that, we can say yes and amen, right? So don't be a fickled flip-flopper equivocating and indecisive person who vacillates and changes their mind on what to do more than you change your own clothes. You stand firm. Don't make promises you can't keep. Say what you mean. Mean what you say. Stand firm for the truth. Stand firm for God. And always believe and never doubt that all of God's promises through Christ are yes and amen. This morning, if you need to respond to Lord's invitation or worshiping with us online, please write to the email address on the screen or get hold of your shepherd group leader. If you're here this morning and you need to make a public response, please meet with one of our elders on the front bench or get with them after services. But make that decision now as we stand and sing this next.